the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think of what Job experienced. Can you imagine? I mean, he's sitting there, he's he's reading the stock reports about how good he's doing, how much money he's making. And in walks a person after a person after a person after a person saying, your life is blown. You've been hit from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I don't want you to raise your hand, but some of you were really surprised when we said, and Satan was there too. Because this is the heavens. What? What Satan? How did he get there? And yet as you study the full counsel of God's word, what what we find is that Satan has access to the heavenlies until halfway through that period that we know is the tribulation when he's cast once and for all out of the heavenlies. So the Bible says that God's doing what God does and he's in the heaven, he's overlooking the earth, his creation. The angelic beings are there. There are demons that are there. They're probably hissing at each other back and forth. And Satan walks up, he has access. He has intelligence. He's not a dummy. He knew what was going on in Job's life. He knew all about him. How did he know about him? He's roaming to and fro to earth. Can I just tell you, he knows about you too. And by the way, just a fact, if if you've not felt any of the attacks of the enemy, just do the math on that. He has a willingness. He wants to mess you up. He wants to get in your business. Someone said it's like he was saying this about Job. You want to know what he's really made of, God? Remove all that indulged treatment, that pervasive protection. Strip away the veneer of a man's comfort and you'll see right away he'll turn on you. And that's what happens all across the society. So, we have a bad day. And the bad day may come as a child or as a teenager where as a result of our innocence, our naivete, we are abused at the hand of an evil person. And everything changes. The bad day may come when we, in the midst of a marriage, hear these words from our spouse, I don't love you like I used to love you. And in those moments, everything changes. It may come when we get a call from the doctor Or we have that follow-up appointment and they say, it's not really good news. And everything changes. It may come when you hear that knock on the door and the highway patrolman says, I'm I'm so, so sorry. But there's been an accident. 
and everything changes. It may be more practical in your life where you just can't make the bills meet at the end of the month and you're losing your house or you've lost your job and everything's changed. What will you do in that moment? Another thing we see is that Satan had a clear purpose. He wants to tear you down. He wants to steal, to kill and destroy. He, he wants to destroy your testimony. But he's aware of God's power. Notice how he said to God, you're protecting him. You've put a hedge of protection around him. Now, we're going to fly by this at 30,000 feet, but I want you to understand something. That means that our enemy is aware that our God protects his children. That he can put a hedge of protection around him. It also means that because of his intelligence and because of his willingness and because of his access, Satan was aware that Job was upright and and blameless and that he was fearful, uh, feared God and that he he shunned evil. And so he had probably tried to distract him before, but he ran into the hedge of protection. He's He's a bad enemy. But he has to receive God's permission. This is where the story kind of turned for a lot of us. When God, knowing that Job was having a great day and a great life, says to Satan, the accuser, what do you think about Job? Sick him. See what he's got. You know, it's hard for us to stomach the reality of God's sovereignty. It's easy for us to sing songs like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But it's another thing to recognize if God is truly sovereign, that means if he is large and in charge, that means if he is king of all that is, if he's a Lord of lords, then nothing touches your life that hasn't filtered through his hands. Nothing you have faced escapes the permissive will of God. And that's hard. And yet we see it in the New Testament. Remember what he said to Peter? In the midst of the disciples struggling over silliness. And this is encouraging because we we struggle over silliness too. But as disciples were struggling over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And in one of the moments he kind of pulls Peter aside. And then he doesn't use the new name he's given to Peter. He uses his old name Simon. And uh, Simon means wavering one. And he says, hey Simon, Simon. This is in Luke 22. He said, did you know that Satan came to me and he's asked to kick your rear? He wanted to sift you like wheat. You know what that word means? It means he wanted to shake you so much that he beat off all the stuff that was worthless. Though Satan has power, God's still sovereign. Satan's on a short lease. God still rules and reigns on this earth. Satan cannot be ever present. He cannot be everywhere. That's the second lesson I want you to see. We have a real adversary who's out to get us, but our God is still sovereign. He's still sovereign. Now, I want to read the remainder of the story and then kind of tie it up for you, okay? Look at verse 13. Now, there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. 
And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven. They burned up the sheep and the servants consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels. And they took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, there came another said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Remember the adversary we just talked about? Can I unpack this for you and tell us some things that that means about our enemy? You need to be aware of this. That means that Satan had the power to influence and control human tribes who acted upon his movement, the Sabians, to go in and cause harm. That means that he influenced and controlled the patterns of wind and weather. Think about that next time you hear a hurricane described as an act of God. He sent deadly bolts of fire from the sky like lightning bolts on steroids. He took away the lives of people in the flash of a moment as they feasted. As we continue this journey, we'll see that he controls and causes Job to have health problems. And he did all of this without being detected by man. And the result, Job goes from affluence to adversity in a moment. One man, one day, everything changed. You see, again, I just want to say some of us are there. You've been there. You've had that moment and you're, you're trying to decide how am I going to respond? Am I walking out on God? Am I giving up and say, God, you didn't show up when I needed you? Am I wrestling still with God? Which is not a totally bad thing because I I haven't given up, but God, I need to hear you. I'm like David saying, God, why are you taking me to the woodshed? Or are you falling down on your knees? Are you worshiping the God of God in the midst of your pain? I think of what Job experienced. Can you imagine? I mean, he's sitting there, he's, he's reading the stock reports about how good he's doing, how much money he's making. And in walks a person after a person after a person after a person saying, your life is blown. You've been hit from the north, the south, the east, and the west. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I think about the scene from the movie Saving Private Ryan when that mom's sitting there in her house and she sees that military car coming down that long dirt driveway and she hears that knock on the door and sees those three generals. And she's told, ma'am, I'm sorry to inform you, three of your sons have been killed in battle. 
and we're sending out a force to go search and to save your last son. Just as the scene in the movie theater was quiet when I first saw that, so is heaven quiet when this takes place in Job's life. And if you've ever been there, if you've had the kind of bad days we've talked about, it's devastating when heaven is silent. I want you to see this third lesson. Life is tough. We will face circumstances that we don't deserve. But we won't face anything that hasn't received God's permission. All right. We're nearing the end of this first chapter. Heaven and hell are waited on bated breath to see what happens next. Can't you just imagine all the angels in heaven? All right, Job, come on. This is a big moment. You're up to bat, buddy. Don't curse God. Don't do it, Job. You can stand strong. Do this. The demons in hell are saying, <laughs> we've got him. There's no way. This is just the first attack and there's no way he's going to curse God. What happens? Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground and he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You know, it's easy to say the Lord gives. A person of faith can even say the Lord takes away. But man, it's a challenge to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But whatever may come, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's worship. So some of you today, again, man, what a great opportunity over the next several weeks just to take this journey with us in the book of Job. You're going to see how this affects family relationships. You're going to see how friends come along beside you and sometimes help and sometimes hurt in the midst of grief. You're going to see what it looks like to argue with God. Has anybody ever argued with God? We're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with this entire book, the book of Job. This is the first chapter. There are 42 chapters. We're going to wade through a bunch of that, but I, I want to give you something practical because I, I really, I really think as, as Buck said, some of you are, uh, you're in it today, you're hurting and there's something we can get even from this introduction. Here's the first thing I want you to know. When you walk through those troubled times, when you face those fiery seasons, when, when you're in the middle of the test, you have to recognize Sometime you have to get up. It says, after hearing this news, Job arose. He got up. You gotta think that's so significant, psychologically and spiritually. Psychologically, because well, what do we know about depression? 
If, if you've ever been discouraged or depressed, certainly if you've been diagnosed with clinical depression, you know what you want to do? You want to stay in bed. You want to pull the covers over your head. The last thing you want to do is to get up. But to keep going, you have to get up. But it's not just true psychologically, it's true spiritually. You have to recognize that our God suffered the shame and the pain that he endured so that he could lift you from the ashes so that you don't have to stay in the midst of of the trial. You have to get up even when life knocks you down. But he didn't just get up. We saw that he began to grieve. He, He was willing to give up. I think this is where a lot of us get stuck. And in the church, we've not done real good at telling you how to walk through this. It's one reason we're trying to do better. You you may have noticed on Wednesday nights, we started a new support group. It's called Grief Share. And it's led by some folks who have not only training, but great compassion in this area. And maybe you've been through a a season of grief and you've lost somebody you you deeply love, or maybe you're grieving a divorce and and you don't know how to walk through that. And I'd encourage you to take advantage of that, that free opportunity on Wednesday evenings. But grieving is our acknowledgement that, man, things have changed God. And I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. See, sometimes we can get up and just, we can pretend nothing happened and that's not going to last long. But when we give up, we go through the process of grief and and we recognize that there's hope. See, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. I think that's why Job could say, hey, I get it. I came in as a red, wrinkly little baby, naked. And I'm probably going to go out as a red, wrinkly old man, (laughs) naked. So I'm going to give it all up to God. I heard the story of this preacher. He was in California speaking at an event. He didn't realize that at that event, there was a, a, a part of the weekend where he was supposed to be more formal a suit and tie, and he didn't bring one with him. He didn't know what he was going to do, and then he was traveling from his hotel one day and noticed right next to the hotel was a funeral home. And he had had good relationships with funeral homes for a lot of years, like most of us pastors do. And, and so he, he said, I'm going to go in there and see if they have a suit I can borrow. And, and sure enough, the funeral director did have a, a suit that he could borrow, let him do that, and the guy put it on and fit him, and he, he went and he was speaking at his engagement that evening, and he went to do what he had done on Almost all the time as he spoke, he went to put his hand in his pocket. And then he realized it. Suits made for cadavers have no pockets. Because you can't take it with you. I used to say this, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. But if I'm lying, I'm dying. In Branson, Missouri, one day I was riding down the road and I saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I'm not sure why, because you can't take it with you. And so Job was saying, I I recognize that as it says in 1 Timothy 6, I brought nothing into this world. I cannot take anything out of the world. The world teaches us we have to hold on tight where the word of God says I have to loosen my hold and let God. Chuck Swindoll paraphrased these words of Job and listen to what he said. It's as if he's saying the one who gave me life and has put everything on loan to me 
during my lifetime has chosen and has every right to, to take everything away. I won't take anything with me. Blessed be his name for loaning it to me while I had it. And blessed be his name for choosing to remove it. It's a difficult principle, but it's something every one of us have to learn. Everything we have is on loan from God. Our problem is we tend to possess our possessions. None of Job's stuff owned him. He recognized everything he had was the Lord's property. And he had no difficulty releasing it. Sometime you have to give up. But there's a third thing. He got up, it says he arose, he gave up, he tore his clothes, shaved his head so that it would be clear he was grieving. But then he got down. Because <laughs> this is what happens when you truly see where God is in all of it. You stand up on your own and you're thinking, I can do this. You get out of your bed after that bad day and think, I can go forward. And then in the midst of grieving, you recognize, I can't. Apart from the grace of God. And so you fall on your knees and you begin to say, God, help me. And an amazing thing happens. Everything looks different from knee level. Well, the chapter ends with a uh, interesting statement. It kind of leads us to that last lesson we can learn. When tough times come, we face a crossroad of choice. We choose either to sink into pity and blame or we choose to swim in God's presence and blessing. Job chose to swim. You know, it's a lot harder to swim if you're holding on to something. So he chose to let go and the Bible says he made wise choices. What was his wise choices? He didn't blame God. He didn't curse God. In fact, I think the only one cursing God that day was Satan and his army. They were singing that song of Willie Coyote, foiled again. Because it says in verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Hey, whatever you're facing today, would you do me a favor? Remember this, whatever your circumstances, they've not caught God off guard. I can say it till I'm blue in the face. I love this little saying. Has it ever occurred to you? Nothing's ever occurred to God. God never has aha moments. In fact, there's, there's already been a conversation in heaven about what you're going through right now. So you had a bad day? So you're going to have a bad day? So you're having a bad day? What are you going to do about it? You know the great thing about any conversation we have about suffering is the reality that we serve a God that really does feel our pain. Because the only innocent person ever to suffer, and boy did he suffer, was also someone who had a name that started with J. His name is Jesus. 
Isaiah called him the suffering servant. Paul tells us in Philippians that he suffered so much that he willingly humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And why did he do that? He did that so that nothing in this world, whether it be sin and sorrow that we bring on ourselves, or whether it be sickness and even death, nothing needs separate us from him. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.